If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. It's November 8th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, important U.S. election results are trickling in from states all around this country. We'll talk about four of them and why those four local races carry important implications for Americans everywhere. Second, an update for you on that news from last Friday about the $1 billion effort by foundations to change your local news. I've got a class action lawsuit to tell you about that underlines why that billion-dollar effort is pretty dangerous and what you can do to stop it if you believe the same. Third, some Canadians are angry this morning, and that doesn't happen very often. It has to do with China, automobiles, and something called the USMCA. I'll explain and talk about why we should care. Fourth, an update for you on the AI revolution. A pack of drones was recently given a mission, and they came up with a plan to solve it all by themselves. I've got those details coming up. Later, a listener question today from Wendy out in Maine. She is not happy about her electricity bill, and she wants to know whether I have heard what is going on in her state and why those bills are so high. And the answer is yes, and I'll tell everybody else about that and why we should care. But first, let's get to our top stories of the morning. Today, we learn the results of yesterday's elections that happened all throughout America on the local and state level, and those are pretty important. Because as listeners know, there is a lot of power in your local communities, which in turn affects the nation. So let's talk about four key races this morning as results are getting finalized and certified. But as you'll see, folks, I think each of these will demonstrate why they're pretty important, not only on a local level, but on national level as well. So let's start in Virginia. The Republican governor there, Glenn Youngkin is his name. He had hoped to use his popularity to keep Republican control of the Virginia House, plus flip the Senate from Democrats to Republicans. But that effort failed. In fact, he and his party lost control of both the House and failed to capture the Senate. Now, why that happened will be parsed out in the weeks to come, but it is possible that the issue of abortion played a role here. Mr. Youngkin campaigned pretty hard for passing a 15-week abortion ban, but let's see where the data take us on that. One other thing to note here, Mr. Youngkin had been regarded as a pretty strong possibility for a 2028 presidential candidacy. In fact, some had even argued that he should run right now. But yesterday, his efforts clearly fell short, and so too will the chatter about him. More to come on that. Next, we're off to New York City, where the 51 districts that make up the city council held their elections yesterday. Now, most were likely to go to Democrats. It's, of course, a heavily liberal city. In fact, there are only six Republicans out of the 51 slots. But what I was watching for is to to see whether or not the illegal migration crisis and the growing crime levels in New York would push those city's voters in a different direction. 
either to send a message to Democrats generally or the White House in particular. But results so far suggest maybe one upset for a Republican. But overall, it's the same old, same old for Gotham. More to come. Third, we head over to Kentucky this morning. What a great state. All because of their vote for the governor. The current fellow there, the current governor, Andy Bashir, is a relatively popular Democrat in a very conservative state. In fact, Trump won that by 26 points. So the question yesterday was whether or not that would remain true. In other words, whether Republican voters would still choose a Democrat, even though his party is heading in a very liberal direction. Well, the results are in and Mr. Bashir was reelected. It has been argued that the issue of abortion played a role here, too, as well as in Virginia. But again, we're going to have to parse the data another day to determine whether or not that's true. Meanwhile, there is one very important implication for this result in Kentucky that we need to talk about, even if you don't live in Kentucky. Right, That state's senior senator, the 81-year-old Republican Mitch McConnell, is in terrible health. So if he were to die or step down, Mr. Bashir would probably try to appoint a new senator. But here's where things get a little bit sticky. There's a state law that says that Bashir must replace McConnell with a Republican. But Bashir says that that law is unconstitutional and he will not say whether or not he'll follow it. So the point is this. With Bashir now reelected, if McConnell should die or step down, there will be a big political fight. And that would likely leave a void for some period of time in what is a narrowly divided U.S. Senate. And that could affect how we govern this country. So that is why I will continue to watch Kentucky and the health of Mr. McConnell. And it's why you might want to as well. Finally, we headed to Pennsylvania this morning where Democrats control the state Supreme Court there by a vote of uh, five to two. Yesterday, a Republican and a Democrat faced off for one of those seven seats and the Democrat won. He won by a vote of 53 to 47%. And that could be interesting for the 2024 presidential election because polls had shown that Trump was beating Biden by four points. But now we have to wonder whether or not that polling was accurate or a little bit off. So folks, those are the big four states and their races that I watched last night. The states of Virginia, Kentucky, New York, and Pennsylvania. There are also some other important races in Mississippi, Ohio, and Rhode Island. If you're a political monster, you want to learn some more about those. But the bottom line is this. It was a pretty good night if you are a Democrat, but not so much if you are a Republican. With that, we turn to our second report of the morning. I've got an update for you about fake news, an update that's really about political parties and partisans trying to control your news and your hometown and ultimately the facts by which your cities function. First, though, let's talk about some background to this. Last Friday, I shared with you the effort by over 20 U.S. foundations to spend a billion dollars on starting or expanding local news outlets all throughout this country and just in time for the 2024 elections. The foundations are universally leftist or Democrats, but they have promised that this news initiative that they're calling Press Forward will be apolitical or non-political. But as we discussed on Friday, those promises probably are not accurate. And that is because, as I shared with you, the CEO of the lead foundation of this initiative is a longtime donor to Democrat politicians. And so, too, are most of the staff involved, plus the partners and affiliated board members. I also shared with you this. In the press release that announced this Press Forward initiative, they spoke of this transforming communities with equity. That is a very leftist buzzword and set of policies. 
They also expressed alarm about what they said was racial and gender gaps in the newsroom, which, of course, is also a key part of the Democratic agenda or policies. And that is what brings us, ladies and gentlemen, to the update this morning. Although we're going to go back in time just a touch. About three years ago, there was a man named Steve Bradley, and he was working for a local newspaper in the lovely city of Rochester, New York. And then he got laid off. Well, he found a new job. But two years later, an attorney called him out of the blue and said that he had been terminated from that old newspaper job because he was white. The attorney, a fellow named Jay Nelson Thomas, told him that because he was drafting up a class action lawsuit against the owner of that Rochester newspaper. It's a company called Gannett Incorporated. Now, some of you might know their leading newspaper. It's USA Today. But Gannett also controls local news outlets like the Arizona Republic, the Tennessean, the Detroit Free Press, and dozens of others in 46 states across the Union. And here's why that national reach is so problematic. According to the lawsuit, firing Mr. Bradley for being white was not some mistake or aberration. It was corporate policy. Allegedly, Gannett fired him because they were trying to meet their diversity quotas. So they were firing white people and in turn hiring or retaining only minorities. Meanwhile, the lawsuit also alleges that Gannett was denying white workers uh, opportunities for advancement and promotion and related salary increases. Now, as you would have guessed, probably Gannett is denying all charges here, calling them meritless. But here is what cannot be denied. The company very publicly set a target of increasing the number of non-white people in leadership positions by 30% in their company by the year 2025. Finally, the folks at Gannett can't deny this either. The lawyers for Mr. Bradley and others have text messages to prove their claims. So here's just one of them. Mr. Bradley's boss back at Rochester, he was texting with a colleague of his and bragging that he'd laid off Mr. Bradley instead of an Asian reporter, all to boost diversity efforts. He also fired another white fellow, and by doing so, he said, he was able to keep on board people of color, or the wrong color, to be more accurate. Meanwhile, there are also other emails and sworn testimony from other white people formerly at Gannett that, well, saying that they should only hire minority candidates when they had open positions. No white people ought to apply. So those are the facts and data this morning. Let me offer you my analysis and opinion with two suggestions. First, if you are in one of the 46 states that has a Gannett publication, you should know about this lawsuit and how allegedly Gannett operates. And that is why I'm going to make today's podcast available for all listeners who have accounts on Substack, paid or otherwise. I want people to go to writereport.substack.com, click on today's episode, and take a look at the transcript. Right? Look for the link to the dozens of Gannett newspapers all around America. And by the way, that link is on page 7 of the transcript. What I would encourage you to do, if you are so moved, is to find out whether you are reading one of Gannett's newspapers or websites in your hometown. And if so, well, now you can better decide whether or not you would like to continue to do so. Second, let's now think about allegedly what the folks at Gannett are doing. And then I want us to imagine that that has been expanded by $1 billion to promote the same kind of political views, right? That is what makes me very, very nervous about this developing story. It's the scale of what $1 billion can do in small town America with these small newspapers and such. Timed, by the way, just before next year's election. All happening whether we like it or not. 
So that's why I'm going to be following this very closely. And that is why I would encourage you to do the same. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com, thank you. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks, and we'll be right back. Folks, they said it couldn't be done. Industry experts said that America could never rebuild its textile industry to once again make clothes in America for the American people. But those experts were wrong. A giant proved them wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to proudly introduce you to the company American Giant. They make clothing right here in the United States. And they do so for men and women alike. They've got shirts and hoodies, polos, jeans, jackets, you name it, American Giant makes it. But it is not just some company making stuff. It is seamsters, cutters, factory workers, your neighbors in towns and cities across the U.S. who are reopening factories to once again bring together pride, purpose, and people. So if there were ever a time to show your support for this country and get a high-quality product in return, the time is now. And the company is American Giant. And if you do, folks, if you buy clothes from American Giant, I'm going to save you some money. 20% off your first order. So here's how you do it. Just go to American-Giant.com. And once there, you've got a whole range of categories to choose from for what it's worth. I love their hoodies. I'm telling you, you put this thing on and you can just feel the sturdiness. You just know it is so well made. So fill up that wardrobe. Get your fall and winter clothes right now at American-Giant.com. Use promo code right at checkout and you are going to get 20% off your first order. Again, that is 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code right. Folks, let's rebuild this country and let's make America giant. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards international news. Canada's auto parts industry is outraged this morning at China. All because Beijing is threatening Canadian jobs and cheating. So let's talk about why the Canadians are so mad with a quick refresh of a brief that I gave you back on July 25th. Now, as folks might recall, the U.S., Mexico, and Canada, they have a trade deal, and it's called the USMCA. And it replaced the old NAFTA that some of us probably remember. Now, for the terms of this USMCA agreement, this trade deal is only supposed to benefit, quote, North American workers, farmers, ranchers, and businesses, end quote. Now, what you did not hear me say are any benefits going to Chinese workers or Chinese businesses, and yet they are benefiting. Indeed, as I shared with you this summer, a shocking number of Beijing's state-owned companies are moving into Mexico to take advantage of this USMCA trade deal. In fact, they have invested over $8 billion in new factories and distribution centers with one very clear goal— to get around U.S. tariffs. Now, as we know, former President Donald Trump slapped on tariffs on these Chinese goods and companies back in 2018, really for three reasons. First, they're stealing our intellectual property. Second, they were shipping us illicit drugs like fentanyl. And third, they have been using concentration camp labor for things like clothes and toys and solar panels. Well, the Communist Party and their businesses, as I shared with you this summer, have found a loophole, and that is Mexico. Indeed, there are some Mexican businessmen who are very happily setting up all kinds of industrial parks in Mexico for these Chinese companies, including some that are right next to the U.S. border. And that is bad news, not only for economic reasons, but also for national security concerns. 
as we discussed yesterday, these businesses and these Chinese citizens can be compelled to do things like conduct espionage or sabotage operations. So that's the background and the refresh on this USMCA issue and the cheating Chinese. With that, here's the latest news out of Canada. The Auto Parts Manufacturers Association in Canada said on Monday that their organization is growing pretty alarmed by the competition that they are facing in Mexico by Chinese state-owned companies. Specifically, they are concerned about six Chinese car companies that have launched auto sales in Mexico, companies that now control 20% of the Mexican car market. The expectation is that those six Chinese companies are now going to expand into manufacturing facilities and a, a new network of outfits that make all the car parts. And as that happens, the Canadian Association says that they will not be able to compete with all those communist-backed companies, all because they have access to cheap government capital and there's no expectation of profit or making money. Instead, as the Canadians correctly said on Monday, Beijing is trying to weaken North America's industrial base and replace it with theirs. In other words, they can afford to lose money. They don't need profit. And that is why our friends in Canada say that we should all get together and look at a revision to the USMCA. So those are the latest facts and data about this troubling development, both north and south of the border. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion. And let's start with this. Next week, President Xi of China will be in San Francisco as part of a week-long summit called the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Forum. In attendance will be Joe Biden. He will be meeting with Mr. Xi at some point. Also scheduled to meet with Mr. Xi or U.S. businessmen and likely Canadian businessmen too. Hundreds of them. And that's pretty remarkable. Remember that just three weeks ago, the intel chiefs for the U.S. and Canada both warned that China is, quote, engaged in the most sustained and sophisticated theft of intellectual property and expertise in human history, end quote. Well, now those same targeted U.S. and Canadian businesses are scrambling to have dinner with China's leader in San Francisco. So the point, ladies and gentlemen, is this. We've got this schizophrenic approach to China, right? We are embracing the communists so very tightly economically, all while they open up our stomachs and remove our guts. And that is how it has been for about 20 years when China first joined the World Trade Organization. And now they're they're trying to gut us like a fish again using the USMCA. So here's the bottom line. Most of corporate America will not solve this problem because as we have seen now for 20 years, they don't view it as a problem. They are focused on short-term profit. Meanwhile, regrettably, it appears that your federal government is not interested in solving this problem either, not with any kind of expediency or real resolve. So that's the bad news. Here's the good news. This China problem can be solved in part by you. Here's why. In one year's time, you will vote to send someone to the White House. And you can demand that whoever that is take a very muscular response and approach to China. So that's my counsel. Let us remember China as we think about our priorities when we vote. And start asking those politicians now about what they plan to do about what I think we can agree is a profound threat. And that takes us to our final report of the morning. And this one is also China-related, but I'd like us to think less about China and more about the, the technology that we're about to discuss. I, I want us to think big picture about what it is, who controls it, and whoever controls it, what do they do with it? And if it's not us, what happens? So, with those big questions, here's the news. 
Earlier this week, the South China Morning Post reported that Chinese engineers had come up with a pretty remarkable swarm of drones and gave them a mission. And here it is. Drones, go find a set of keys hidden somewhere in a park. The engineers then gave the drones a picture of the keys, but that's it. And then the drones got to work. Here's the important part. They were infused with artificial intelligence. They used that to then talk to each other about their mission. And without the aid of humans, they mapped out the park and they divided up who would search what sections with three of the drones taking lead, at least with that part of the operation. The other two drones said, look, we've got hooks or grippers on our bodies and our role will be to grab the keys once we locate them. So that was the plan that the drones devised on their own. No humans. And off they went. Well, eventually one of the drones found the keys, of course, using the cameras and the sensors on its body. The drone then sent a picture to the others to confirm identification of the keys. And once they all agreed, they swarmed to the location and the, one of the drones that had the hooks, the grippers on its body, well, grabbed the keys. Mission accomplished. Pretty cool. For what it's worth, Chinese researchers said that this technology would be wonderful for things like search and rescue operations, uh, for safety inspections, logistics, or other mundane tasks that uh, humans just don't like or simply too dangerous to do. So those, ladies and gentlemen, are the facts and data this morning about this drone update. Let's talk about my analysis and opinion. So back on July 11th and 19th, we kicked off a series on what I called the AI revolution, where researchers and scientists around the world are trying to create both machines and software that, when combined, are just as smart and just as capable as humans, if not smarter and better. Now, as I shared with you over the summer, as we watch and experience this AI revolution, it's going to be somewhat similar to watching a little baby. Right? At first, it's going to start with a crawl, then an awkward walk, and eventually, at a steady pace, a jog, and then eventually an all-out sprint. And that is what we are watching with these latest AI-infused drones from China. We are getting further down that developmental path towards, eventually, a sprint. And whichever nation or company gets to that sprint first, ladies and gentlemen, they will win. Now, exactly what they win and what they do with that victory, that is the question. In other words, will a win just be money, market share, or will they be tempted to use their victory for power, control, global domination? Well, we shall see. Lots of very important questions, not a lot of answers this morning, but here's what we know. The race is on, and that is why I will be covering more of this in the months to come. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I got one more thing before I let you go. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. It's a listener question this morning sent to us from one of my paid subscribers at rightreport.substack.com. Wendy in the great state of Maine wrote in yesterday asking about her electricity bill. 
Okay, well, to be specific, she was wondering what I thought about a ballot initiative in Maine that would abolish private utilities and instead create a government agency or nonprofit to manage things. And it really is a great question, and it's a great ballot initiative, Wendy. So let's talk about what's going on in your state with, I think, very important lessons for the rest of us. So about a year ago, residents in Maine opened up their utility bills and probably had to sit down because they could not believe what they were saying. Bills that were normally two, three hundred bucks were a thousand dollars, twelve hundred dollars. Hmm. Why? <laughs> well, that's the fight. On one hand, we have the utility operators and they say, look, we just buy the power. We don't produce it. Right. And they're buying it from either very expensive sources like wind power or biomass generators, or sometimes they're buying it from unreliable sources of power, such as hydro, if there is a drought. Plus, utilities say Maine used to have cheaper power, a nuclear reactor, some petroleum powered plants, for example, but those were shut down for political or climate change reasons over the past 20 years. And that has led Maine to producing half of the electricity that it used to 20 years ago. So you put that all together. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why Maine has some of the most expensive electricity in the country. Now, on the other hand, some voters in Maine are not buying any of those arguments or those facts and data. Rather, they think it's actually the fault of those greedy utilities. And that is why these voters put out a ballot initiative that was voted on yesterday to take over the utilities. So let's wait and see if it passed yesterday. I'm still waiting for the final numbers. But if voters in Maine agreed, the process of creating a new government-run utility will be very expensive and very litigious. But Wendy, I think what's happening in Maine is what is happening elsewhere too. We are yanking out reliable energy like nuclear or natural gas, and we're replacing it with intermittent energy like wind and solar. Meanwhile, our demand for electricity is going up, especially as we electrify things like cars and trucks. And consumers like those in Maine are going to pay the price, quite literally. So let's see what happens in Maine, one of the many test cases that we are going to see over the next number of years. And Wendy, if you don't like being a test case, well, you can try to change it. You just got to get involved in either your state government or those utility boards and get them to listen to you. So that's the good news. The power to change things as ever is in your hands. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.